0: Jr. here. Thanks for hitting play. You ever feel like you get caught into a funk? You know, you just don't have the freshness or the passion that you know you should have. Let's talk about that. You ever find yourself thinking, this isn't what I had in mind when it came to really my life. You ever think about that? Like, this wasn't my original plan. This wasn't the dream I had when it came to what I'm doing. And some of the young moms in this room are, like, nodding their head right now because you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you you did one of the most selfless things, maybe, and you you put, like, a career on hold to fully invest in your little ones. And when you had your kids or when you were pregnant with your first, like, you had in mind what parenting was going to be like. You know, I'm going to be all natural. Cloth diapers. No screen time. We're going to make your own baby food, and we're going to do crafts together, and we're going to make dinner from scratch every night. You know, you had this, like, wonderful dream of what parenting was going to be like, but like 13 minutes into your day, the house is a mess, and you're sticky, and so you give the kids a popsicle full of preservatives and tell them just watch TV, you know, so you can order carryout. Like, this wasn't the original plan. And in all seriousness, a lot of stay-at-home moms, their head hits the pillow at night, and they think, am I really wasting my life? in this homemaker prison or your job. You know, you went into your career with so much hope. You know, you didn't just wanna like make a living, you wanted to, to make a difference and you were gonna change the field. Heck, you were gonna go change the world. But here you are, you're over a decade into your career, or a couple decades into your career, and you're sitting in that same old gray cubicle, getting passed up on promotion after promotion, not getting the opportunities you thought you'd get, feeling like you're sitting in a corporate prison. And you drive home every evening thinking, I thought I'd be further along by now. Am I wasting my life here? Or you're single. And you're not wanting everyone to feel sorry for you, but this wasn't your original plan. Like you thought you'd have a spouse by now. You thought maybe you'd have a couple of kids by now, but this isn't the plan. Or maybe, maybe life was fine. You were making progress. You were doing well. You were hitting your goals, but then that health issue happened and it seemed like it halted everything. Or you're sitting here in Illinois and everybody's moving out and you're wondering if I should be moving out too. And you kind of feel stuck in this state. See, there's a part of all of us, and and I'm with you. There's an area of your life where we think, you know, I thought I'd be further along by now. I thought I'd have that office by now. I thought I'd be further along financially uh, at this point. I thought I'd be higher up on the corporate ladder at this point. Like This wasn't my original plan when I went into things. I'm I'm stuck at this dead end job. I'm stuck with this health issue. I'm stuck in this lifeless marriage. I'm stuck with this relationship status. I'm stuck in this God-forsaken state, it feels like. And there's a piece of you, a piece of you that just feels stuck. You know what I'm talking about? I think you do. I, th- I think we all know what I'm talking about. And God has something to say about it. I really do believe God has a big word for all of us this morning. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39. We'll start in verse 20. Genesis 39. I really encourage you to grab a Bible. You've got Bibles in the chairs. It's page 33 in those Bibles. Otherwise, uh, notes. We have notes in the bulletin and, um, and also on the app can look up the Bible on our Bridge app as well. For the last six weeks, we've been going through the life of Joseph, and we've been going very, very slowly. It's been six weeks and really not that far along. It's what happens when you have a slow teaching pastor, but you've been so, so gracious with me. Uh, We've been studying a man who dominates the pages of Genesis, and it's not Adam and Eve. It's not Noah. It's not Abraham. It's this guy named Joseph, a kid who grew up in a very dysfunctional but wealthy home. So dysfunctional that at 17, Joseph is sold as a slave and ends up in Egypt. He finds himself running the estate of one of Egypt's elite, Potiphar. So he's doing really well for himself. That is until his boss's wife channels her inner cougar, goes on the prowl for Joseph, and Joseph turns her down. She's a vindictive woman, she's a manipulative person, and uh, she, she wants what she wants. And so Joseph is accused of rape, lands himself in prison. This is where we left off last week, and this is where we'll pick up. So let me pray, and we'll jump right into this text. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the transformational power of your word. And may you remind us of that right now. Just as we sit here with our Bibles open, ready to hear from you, may you remind us just of the importance of the weight of this moment right here that as we gather together with brothers and sisters and we hear from dad, this is one of, if not the most important, the most incredible time that we're going to have this week. You are going to speak. I pray that your Holy Spirit illuminate this text to us and also bring situations to mind. May we come before you humbly, not fighting off your conviction but inviting your conviction into our lives your word is sharper than any two-edged sword and, and you want to do a surgery on, on many of us right now and, and we are we are here ready to listen ready to be convicted we pray this in Jesus name amen well as we enter into Genesis chapter 39 verse 20, the scorching Egyptian sand blows off the surrounding dunes and tumbles into the streets of Egypt below. It's a typical day in Egypt. Uh, The market opens up, rickety tables selling fresh leeks and onions and hops, all grown on the nearby banks of the Nile. Crews in one of the sections tie knots in their ropes to create scaffolding for one of Pharaoh's latest projects. And down one of the sandy streets sits this building, it's an interesting building, it's a, it's a round structure, a bit of a bland building, it's really a bit of an eyesore, really, and nothing ornate about this building at all. It's, it's round, it's bleak, it, there, there's no windows, it's this gloomy, circular building. It's the prison. It's the federal prison, to be precise. The above portion was reserved for the guards and the admin. It's a dome-like structure with a roof, all of which covered this large, deep pit which is the cell chamber. This building is designed to be uncomfortable. Very little ventilation down in the pit. Each cell acting as an oven. Water was a commodity here. The food is leftover slop with little nutrients. It's called a prison, but today we would consider it a place of torture. This hellish pit is designed to shorten your life. Little nutrients, little water, heat, Harsh condition, conditions. The quicker an inmate dies, the less of a burden they are on the state. Quicken in the inevitable, weaken the prisoners was Egypt's plan. And there in the entrance of this circular building stands Joseph. He's in his mid 20s and he's being registered. Yesterday, he was lead, leading a large team of staff in the comfort of Egypt's largest estate. Today, by no fault of his own, this dome-like structure is now his new home. And this is where we jump into verse 20. It says, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. King's prisoner. So this is not some low-level security prison with petty offenders. This is high-security, severe criminals. The men sitting in this pit are hardened thugs, dangerous outlaws. This is death row. Most of these guys are waiting for the axe and they're Joseph's new roommates. Verse 21, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. If Joseph had a tombstone, this would be on his tombstone. This is the reoccurring theme in the narrative of Joseph. We've run into this idea so many times already. And anytime scripture repeats itself, it's like a big deal. Anytime you read something in scripture and it's repetitive, you're like, oh, I better better pay attention. In chapter 39 alone, this chapter alone, this is repeated seven times in some way, shape, or form. Seven times, that's huge. And God showed him steadfast love. To which I think many of us, if we were to really be honest with ourselves and honest as we read scripture, we would look at this and go, this is what the steadfast love of God looks like? This is what God's love looks like? Sold into slavery, false accusations. Everyone thinks you're a rapist. And now you're going to live in a literal hellhole in the ground? This is what the love of God looks like? I love this word steadfast. I was meditating on this word, steadfast, a, a couple of weeks ago As we, I was, uh, in the Bridge Reading Program. We're reading through the Psalms right now, and, and you'll see this word pop up so often, steadfast, steadfast, steadfast love, the steadfast love of God, steadfast. What does steadfast mean? It's this idea of deep, loyal love. Deep, loyal, faithful love. What comes to my mind is um, About three, four weeks ago, my grandma recently passed away uh, from from Alzheimer's. For the last couple of years, she didn't know who I was, didn't know who my kids were, you know, she didn't know her grandkids or great grandkids or kids. Everything had to be done for my grandma. My grandpa, he's uh, 84, he was glued to her side the entire time. Even when she didn't really know who he was, he was right there, bathing her, getting her dressed, getting her up in the middle of the night. And my grandma for the last two years would sleep in the recliner in the living room. And for the last two years, my grandpa would sleep on the floor by her feet. Slept on the floor with a little blanket just in case she got up, he was right there so that he could be with her. Her birthday, he would buy her gifts and and celebrate her. She had no idea what was going on, but he would sit there and he would celebrate her. That's steadfast love. Steadfast love is this idea that I'm going to be with you. You're going to walk a hard road and I'm going to go with you. And you're going to hurt and I'm going to feel that hurt with you. This is what scripture is talking about. Joseph is going to be thrown into this pit full of criminals and God says, I'm going to come with you and you're going to hurt, but I'm going to feel that with you. It reminds me of of the psalmist would later write, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And so, yes, as we read this, we go, this is what the steadfast love of God looks like. Yes. This is what the love of God looks like. He's not just good when times are good. He's steadfast when times are bad. When your child wants nothing to do with you, God is steadfast with you. When you look at another negative pregnancy test and inside you just want to scream in pain, God is steadfast with you in that moment there, feeling that with you there. This is the love of God. It never guarantees a good time, but it always guarantees God's presence. And we're seeing it right here but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. I love, I love this about Joseph. You can't keep this guy down. See, if if this were me, and this is just my own sin, but if I'm being registered to go into this dome-like structure, into the pit with a bunch of hardened criminals, I would want to cop, an. in fact, I wouldn't want to, I would cop an attitude. I would embrace my bitterness. I shouldn't even be in this country. I should be at home on my father's estate, enjoying the pleasures of life, finding a girl, making babies. I shouldn't even be here in Egypt. And maybe Joseph had those thoughts, but he doesn't live there. And some of us are living there right now. We've been living there for years, for decades, just living in bitterness. Joseph dusts himself off. He gets back at it. He can't control his circumstances. He can't control his boss. He can't control the false accusations coming his way. He can't control his critics. He can't control his haters, but he can control something. And we'll see what he can control. Verse 22, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, look at that. He was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made him succeed. You can't keep a true leader down. I think a lot of times people think, you know, if I I would just be given the opportunities, if the circumstance were just better, I'd be a far better leader. Eh, You can't keep a true leader down. They will just continue to lead. Case in point, Joseph. He is leading in prison. Now, to be fair, still not that great of a job. It's not something we're very proud of. Like, you don't see a bumper sticker on anybody's car that says, my son is the leader of a prison. It's like, well, okay, we can't really brag about that. Not much to brag about. But this is the best he can do. And in this, he's giving us an incredible lesson. It's a simple lesson. It's a powerful lesson. When life doesn't turn out the way you hope for, when you're still sitting in that desk, or you're stuck at home with the kids, or you're stuck with that health issue, or you're stuck here in Illinois, you don't want to live here, you want to be going off like everybody else. When you're there, when you feel stuck, number one, work hard. Get to work. You and I were created to work hard. I think sometimes we view hard work as like a punishment. Hard work is not a punishment. Adam and Eve worked hard before the fall. Hard work is not a punishment. In fact, hard work is a mark of the people of God. You really want to uh, humble yourself Order online a uh, book written or even a prayer book written by the Puritans. If you were to read through the Puritan writings, it's, it's old English, it's a little bit hard to read, but it is insane how much the Puritans, and the Amish get this as well, how much the Puritans repeat this idea of your hard work being a tool for God to shape you. You want God to shape you? Get to work. God molds you through hard work. This idea of like sanctification of God bringing you to the point of whole, holiness, he's working on you. That's hard work, hard work, get to work. We do good work, when, whatever we do. I love, I love what Martin Luther wrote, listen to this. Martin Luther wrote this, he wrote, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors the Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. I love that. God cares about the work you do. He cares about the work you do, whether you're running numbers this week, whether you're doing factory work, whether you're doing some rehabilitation with with, with your health, God wants you working hard. God cares about good craftsmanship. See, I think that some of us have really got caught into this funk. And and I would say this is a funk a lot of times that we got into with COVID. Pulled pulled apart, kind of got out of work. Now we're coming back. It's like, I don't know if I like my job. It's not what I dreamt it would be. I just don't have much drive anymore. You ever feel that? You don't have much drive anymore. We don't have much passion anymore. There's not much, any, any freshness. That's a lot of people today. It shouldn't be Christians. Because we live with this idea that who our work is for, well, that shakes us out of any funk. We don't shy away from hard work. We invite it. Because every day we leave it on the field. Our head hits the pillow. We go, God, this is the work I did for you. And someone who lives in that mindset, they never feel stuck because their work is worth it. I remember my dad saying this to me when I was, uh, I was younger. I was starting to get into, like, my, my first job was working at a grocery store, bagging, bagging groceries. And, uh, and when I got into, like, the work world, I remember my dad saying this, and I never forgot it. He said, your, uh, well, your work reveals your character, but your job will make you successful. It won't make you successful, but your work can. Your job won't make you successful. I know this is a will. We gotta change that to won't. Your job won't make you successful but your work can. I think too many people spend their lives wishing for more opportunities. Oh, if I just got invited into that meeting, if I just got that promotion, you know, then I have success. You know, Wishing for different circumstances, feeling stuck because this isn't what I chose. I hate this city, I hate this state, I hate this company, I hate my job, I hate this desk. Okay, I get it, Joseph gets it, but at some point, Joseph made the conscious decision, I'm here, I'm gonna work hard, my work can bring success. Continue on in chapter 40, verse 1. It says sometime after this. Now, if you write in your Bibles, which I would encourage you to write in your Bibles, uh, sometime after this, write put a little note there that says eleven years. Eleven years. Say sometime after this, eleven years. This next chapter, the next chapter uh, forty-one, gives us some ages, and so we're able to kind of figure out how long between when Joseph is thrown into prison and when this story right here takes place. We're talking about eleven years. He's in this hole, sitting in that hell hole, eleven years being labeled a rapist, eleven years. And maybe there's some comfort in that. Maybe you walked in here this morning just feel like God's forgotten about you. Ever since that health issue arose, you've been in this funk. And you feel unappreciated by your kids. You're gonna go to work tomorrow morning and you're, you're gonna be underutilized at work, being passed up on promotion. Joseph spends his prime years, late 20s, Early 30s in a hole, cleaning cells, making food. Years where he would have, he would have climbed the corporate ladder, made bank. Years of him going out with girls, dating, getting married, having kids. Those years of his were spent in a hole. But just like with you, God is not done writing this story. So you look at this. You say, sometime after this, we just put 11 years later. The cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. Now something that, let's meet these guys real quick. Cupbearer and baker, growing up, I always thought like these are such lowly jobs, you know, in the palace. Now these are high trusted officials. These are like the wealthy elite in Egypt, uh, well-known throughout the kingdom. They were constantly in Pharaoh's chamber. They were privy to every big conversation that led to national decisions. I mean, these are highly, trusted officials. Everything Pharaoh consumed went through their hands. They're in prison. When these guys were thrown into prison, it made national news that these guys were being put into prison. We'll continue on in verse 2. It says, and Pharaoh was angry with these two officers, the cupbearer and the chief baker. I wish I knew what he was angry about, but we don't really know. Verse three, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. Verse four, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them and they continued for some time in his custody. Did you catch any wording here? In verses three and four? Something interesting in there. There's someone pulling the strings in all of this. And I know we're in church, we're supposed to say God's pulling the string. Yeah, okay, but through who? There's a hint in verse three. You see a familiar title in verse three and four? Captain of the guard. Where did we see that before? Chapter 39, verse one. You go back to chapter three. If you look back at 39, verse one, it says, now Joseph, this is when Joseph been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Who's the captain of the guard? In verse three, Potiphar. Now, we can't say for sure that Potiphar is still the captain. This is still 11 years later, but I think this is Potiphar. It's the same title. He trusts Joseph. We talked about this last week, but uh, according to this whole narrative, it really seems like Potiphar has his doubts about his wife, a woman that manipulative. like You start to not trust them after a while, and now you have the captain of the guard putting these, these celebrities, really, underneath Joseph. And this is where the story begins to turn. Look at verse five. One night, they both dreamed The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt were confined in the prison, each with his own dream, and each dream with its interpretation. So you just imagine it. These two, they wake up. They probably share the same cell. They wake up in the morning. They're talking about their dreams because dreams are a big deal in this culture. So they're sharing their dreams with each other before breakfast, and they find out uh, our dreams kind of correlate here. They're they're eerily connected. What I dreamed and what you dreamed, eerily connected. It kind of spooked them. So look at verse 6. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. Well, yeah. So Joseph's about to ask them what's wrong, which I think is a really funny question. Imagine heading into death row today. We go to like a prison, we go to death row, and walk up to a cell of a guy who's waiting on death row and going, why are you sad today? Imagine asking that. It's like, uh, because I'm in prison awaiting death, hence my sadness. Like you can see a little bit of Joseph's personality and leadership style here. His morning routine, checking on all the inmates. And he is so discerning and so caring that he can tell between a bad day and a really, really bad day with these guys. And so Joseph goes up to him and says, hey, what's up? You don't look yourself. What's wrong? Man, you wouldn't understand, Joe. Try me. Joseph is about to do peer counseling. It's not his job. His job is to make sure these guys get their work done. That's it. But Joseph is a better leader than just some taskmaster. See, a lot of leadership style today especially is getting people to just do what you want get the checklist done but joseph is high level leadership that's knowing and caring for those and, and, and caring enough to be able to read them enough to put the checklist aside for a second and say let's talk about something deeper what's going on with you, you think about this prison leadership and even corporate leadership today is all about making this pyramid where you're the top dog lording over everybody else creating a toxic place In fact, some people, and I'd venture to say some of us in here, many in here, so many people cannot handle authority. I've seen people, like even my own friends, I'll call them out on it when I see it, but like they get a little bit of authority, you know, and their voice changes. You ever see that at work? It's like just a little bit of authority went way to the head, and they get hard-nosed, and they get very strict, and they get really cold, and they get really rigid. That's a lot of people that just shouldn't be in charge. They can't handle it. Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph doesn't come in rattling his cup against the cell bars. Wake up, you ninnies. You got a problem? I'll take care of it. Two packs of cigs and a magazine. Fork it over and I'll help you out. That's not what Joseph does. Instead, Joseph runs a thriving environment in this hellhole because of how Joseph handles and views leadership. Now, he still pushes people, but he cares about them. And this is going to leave an impression on these, these two. This will come back to Joseph in a good way. But we have, to, we have to point something out here. When you find yourself in prison, this is, Joseph is giving us this. When you, ha- when you feel like you're held back with your health, just you feel like you're, you're totally stuck at this obstacle, or this health issue, or you're stuck at your desk, or you're stuck at home, or you're feeling behind, you're not where you wanna be, number two, care for others. First, get to work. Number two, care for others. And listen, I know this seems like such a pie-in-the-sky point, right? Something you'd hear in Mr. Rogers or Care Bear. C is for care, care for others. I, I get this. I totally get that. But there is something, something so rich here. We just have to go a little bit deeper. See, many people, and, and I'm guilty of this, and, and, I, and I bet you might even be there right now, spiral mentally because something happens. Right? You, you get that health issue. You just kind of realize you're, you're in a dead-end job. Or family problems. There's problems at home. And as a way of coping, what we do is we turn inward. Again, I'm I'm very guilty of this. I'm hurting. I'm feeling like I'm behind. I kind of feel like I'm a victim. I'm wasting my golden years. So I'm just going to, I'm going to turn inward. I'm going to focus on me just to get out of this funk. And then the spiral happens. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And some of us have been in the spiral for years, if not decades, just turning inward. This right here breaks the cycle. You ever feel like you're in a funk in life and you're in a funk spiritually? This will break that funk. Joseph decides to use his pain as a passport to help others. My pain is giving me entrance to help other people. I mean, he knows what it's like first, like the, the first few months to show up in this hole. You know, that's when depression hits, when you're laying in that cell, there's little sleep, the, the malnutrition, you're thirsty all the time. Joseph, remember, I experienced that. So I can help guys who are going through that right now. And he's caring for others. It, it's like, um, have you ever, ever hear about Navy SEAL training? Crazy intense training. I had a child uh, childhood friend who became a Navy SEAL, and he came back home after his training, was telling me all about. Just insane. Uh, They drown you. They literally do. They drown you, and then they bring you back. They stick you in freezing water all night long. They spin you at high speeds and then make you do these crazy challenges. You're on very little sleep the whole time. I mean, it's just insane. Small, small, small percentage of guys make it through Navy SEAL training. I heard a talk given by a Navy SEAL trainer, and he said there's one common trait among the very few guys who make it through Navy SEAL training. One common trait. And it's not strength, muscle, muscle, It's not intelligence and it's not speed. The one common trait among those who make it through Navy SEAL training is a special ability to see past themselves and to the needs of their comrades. When a guy can transcend his pain and aid his friends and theirs, they've discovered this ability to take on whatever because now I can transcend my own pain to help you out. See, this is the idea, this idea of like caring for others. It's not some Sunday school, like be good, care for others, be kind. No, we're talking about this incredible ability when you're feeling stuck in life and you're hurting to transcend that and to help others and be Jesus to others. And you're seeing it here with Joseph. If anybody should be laying in their cell, bitter, spiraling mentally and angry, it should be Joseph. Yet he's transcending that and helping out guys who are in there. That's a godly trait. That's a leadership trait, but it's the best way to survive your own pain. And that might even feel offensive. Walk in here, you're hurting, really stuck at work, or just going through it at home. Your junior saying, Yo, care for others. That can sound very offensive. But this is what gets you out of that funk. I'll continue on, verse 7. So Joseph says, why are your face downcast today? Yeah, I just love that. It's like they're in death row. Verse eight, they said to him, well, we had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. I love this. He's just creatively bringing God into the conversation. He's not like weird about it. He's not awkward about it. He's not dogmatic about it. He's very natural for him. He just brings God into the conversation. And then the rest of the chapter, he covers their dreams. We're not going to pick apart the, the whole dreams, but Joseph interprets the dreams. The, the cupbearer dream is, is a good dream. Joseph says, a cupbearer, Pharaoh's going to lift your head and restore you. You get your job back. It's a great dream. And then the baker tells the dream, and the baker's dream is not so good. Joseph says, your head will be lifted, but only off of you. A pharaoh is going to have you executed. And as the cupbearer, as the cupbearer is on his way out of prison, Joseph makes a request. This is interesting. Joseph says to the cupbearer on his way out, he says, only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. Hey, you're going to go back to the court with Pharaoh. You're going to be back in those big national discussions. You're going to have Pharaoh's ear. Can you remember me? Can, Can you get me out? See, Joseph is making the best of his prison, but he's also looking for opportunities to get out. And this is often where we as followers of Jesus, we kind of miss out on this sometimes. But Joseph is teaching us, when you feel stuck, look for opportunities too. Don't just give up. Look for opportunities. This is what Joseph, he's capitalizing on opportunity. If you can better your situation, why don't you do it? The problem is many of us have given up trying. I had several discussions with young parents lately. Actually, we, you know, being up at family camp, as, as uh, Paul had said, is just, just a blast. And so I was able to talk with some parents with young kids. And I, listen, I get it because I'm still kind of there, but like kids just run you ragged. And, and mom is exhausted and dad is frustrated. And at some point it is what it is. But, you know, the, the fun years, but they're long days. And so I'll ask the parents, like, well, are you, you know, and they're frustrated, you know, we don't know what to do, just kind of feel stuck. It's like, well, are you guys, like, going out on date nights? Are you having adventures together? Well, no. It's Like, well, why? Well, and it's always some lame excuse. Reality is, is they've just given up on trying to better their situation. They've given up on trying to be together and strengthen their marriage, get a break and revamp the family. They have no vision they're not looking to better the situation and get together. Instead, they just kind of give up. Some of us have done that with our jobs. You feel like you're in a dead-end job. And so you've been complaining for decades, but you're not looking for more opportunities. You're just phoning things in. Not looking for opportunities because like, well, Junior, I don't want to be let down again. I know, but you're still looking for more opportunities. It's going to hurt when you get passed up again, but keep going. Don't sit there going, this is my desk, this is my title, I'm just going to complain until I retire. Come on, what kind of existence is that? Some of us have not been trying to get better health-wise. You got the news from the doctor and you had to accept this health issue, which is good, you have to accept it. But you're not looking for more rehabilitation, you're not really looking to trying to get better. Yeah, when you feel stuck, work hard, make the best of your situation, don't sulk, do good work, care for others in the midst of that but look for opportunities that God might send your way. God is constantly sending us opportunities, Leverage those opportunities and capitalize on them. Yeah, it might get your hopes up. And yeah, it hurts when it doesn't pan out. But God gives opportunities and you will miss them. You will waste them if you're not looking for them. So when you feel stuck, and again, all of us are there somewhere, feeling stuck at home, stuck at job, stuck with this health issue, just kind of feel stuck in a state. When you feel stuck, get to work, work hard, do good work, care for others, look for others that God has put into your life that you can care for them, transcend your own feelings and care for them. Then look for opportunities. God is a giver of opportunities. Do not miss those opportunities. A few weeks ago, I was able to head to Norway to speak at a pastor's summit. The original plan was actually to get Russian pastors and Ukrainian pastors in the same room and uh, just talk through what's going on and, and, and do some brainstorming together. Um, but we ended up with a room of pastors from 19 different countries all, all throughout Europe. There was one man in that room that I, I know really well. Um, he's one of my favorite people in the world. His name is, his name is Peter. This is, uh, this is Peter. He's, uh, he has eight kids. All of them love God, great kids who love God. Uh, many of his kids are in ministry today. Um, one of his kids is actually my, my mentor. My favorite thing in the world to do, some of my favorite memories so I'm a, I'm like I love sitting by fires. I just love sitting by, by a good campfire, and, and uh, my favorite company around a good campfire is, is Peter. I've sat by a couple fires with, with Peter before. He's got a, a, such a cool story. I just love listening to him. He raised his big family in communist Romania. And again, his story's incredible. When Peter was in school. He was by far the most intelligent student in his class, top scores in the nation. Right away, he caught the Communist Party's eye, and he was approached by the Communist Party. He said, you know, if you sign on to the party, we will, we will give you um, a pathway to a top education in one of the highest-paying positions in the party. Peter, the follower of Jesus, went home. This is a high schooler. Went home, just felt convicted, prayed about this, and he didn't feel right signing his allegiance to a political reg- regime. And so as a high schooler, I asked him if he, he thought about this. He said, you know, do you, do, you, uh, do you talk to anybody about this? You know, you're gonna go tell the Communist Party no. Did you talk to anybody about this? He goes, talk to my parents, but mainly I just prayed about it, and I felt like God was with me when I went to them and I told them no. I'm not gonna sign on. So he didn't. Top scores all the way through school. Ended up working a uh, a entry-level desk job, had eight kids, fed his eight kids on an entry-level job, extremely poor. He said, my wife would wait in a bread line every single day, extremely poor, day after day. This is one of the top, top students day after day, year after year, sitting at that same desk. His classmates all signed down to the party, surpassed him, made good money. He's looking at his good friends who are driving better cars, living in bigger houses, they're flaunting their success. He sits at the same old desk, year after year, decade after decade. During this time, Peter was heavily involved in the underground church. In fact, one of his, his jobs serving was he was smuggling Bibles to other churches was almost caught several times, which would have meant prison. In fact, some of his best friends were caught and thrown into prison. Barely anything on his table, but he's running food to other people's table. He's just doing what's right. He's working hard, caring for others. Year after year, year after year, poverty. In 1989, the, Rom- the Romanian Communist Party imploded, and some of you might remember that with Ceausescu. Government was overthrown, and in the restructuring Nobody wanted a hint of communism in any high-level positions. That's when Peter saw an opportunity, and he seized it. He was exactly what the country was looking for, an intelligent, hardworking man of character who stood up to communism for decades. So he went from an entry-level job to this elite, high-level financial position in the country, just became very, very, very wealthy overnight. And today, Peter goes to all these different conferences and mainly just gives his money away to churches. I love this man so much. Modern day Joseph, punished for doing good, put in a career position in prison for decades, but God finally gave him an opportunity and he didn't have the bitterness to just turn it down. Oh, he's still looking at his provider saying, give me an opportunity, I'll take it. And he took it. See, there is a piece of your life. I get it. There's a piece of your life where you just, it didn't pan out. This is not what you dreamt. This is not the marriage you thought you'd have. This is not the job you thought you'd have. This is not the stay-at-home life you, you dreamt of. This is not the health issue that you really expected. And everything in you wants to run, to quit, to walk around in bitterness and mope and sulk. Just move out of here. Spend the rest of your life complaining. Calling on your life so much more bigger than that. Don't fall into that. Get to work, work hard, do good quality work. Make the absolute best of your situation. And as you're doing it, care for others. Transcend your pain and see the pain of others. Use your pain as a passport to be able to minister in places you'd never been able to minister. And as you're doing all of this, look for opportunities. Don't give up, don't settle. Look for opportunities to get healthier. Look for opportunities to get better, to make marriage better, to get that promotion. As followers of Jesus, this is our only option. This is what we do. We run the race set before us, regardless of this is what we had in our head or not. This is the race that God set before you. So run hard. This is how we testify. This is how the gospel spreads. This is how the kingdom of God grows. This is how people see Jesus in us. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings.